Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, here we are, Jim. We've made it to our 300th weekly episode. Six long years together, Richard. And while it's easy to congratulate ourselves for being among the few podcasts to produce this many episodes, I have to say I'm most proud of our guests. Well, it's not that hard to outshine us, Richard. But really, one of the lovely things about this whole experience has been that getting to know just a little bit all these fascinating people and hear their interesting, provocative, and unusual ideas for how to make the world a better place. So on this show, we're going to highlight just a few, a very few moments from 300 episodes. We're going to look at six specific shows, which means we'll be touching on exactly 2% of the episodes we've recorded. They had to make up their own mind. Do I continue living a lie? Or do I believe the truth and turn my life around? Science happens, but it happens in a context. And if we keep isolating science, people will look at things and and not consider that there's a response to whatever they work on. It's everyone's responsibility to prevent harassment. So right away, you get out of this mold where there's a harasser and a victim. Now it's everybody's responsibility. Only with a healthy degree of respect for pluralism and multiculturalism can we hold together. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, you and I don't agree really on politics. I'm the swishy libertarian and you're the, the wobbly liberal. Yeah. I'm not sure I call myself that, but I'd like to think I'm more cutting edge. But we do agree on some principles, Jim. I mean, nuance, we like that. Dogma, we don't. Uh, we push back against cancel culture on the left and the right, both of us. And I think we're, we're positive, and some would say we're too much so. But we also agree that a lot of damage is being done right now by those who want to ununify the country, splitting us into separate identity groups. Yeah, that's really one of the fundamental issues going on in our society, and it is just galloping ahead right now. You know, right from the start on this show, we welcomed contrarians to the table. We tried to highlight viewpoints that you might not be hearing from your regular news or opinion sources, whether they're liberal or conservative people whose ideas don't neatly fit into left or right boxes. 
Okay, so let's start with our very first guest, Philip K. Howard. And he's a good example, one of America's leading thinkers on why government is not working as well as it should. Philip is the author of several books, including The Death of Common Sense, How Law is Suffocating American. He is a lawyer, <laughs> so he knows. He's the founder of a group called Common Good, a nonprofit that works to simplify government and cut red tape, or as he likes to call it, bureaucratic kudzu. This clip that we're about to play is from our second interview with Philip in 2019. I asked him, what's the worst problem in government today? I think the worst problem is this kind of sense of alienation that citizens have from government. People no longer feel it's their government. And that's why they are supporting extremist candidates on both sides. And I think that's due to the fact that really almost without our noticing the kind of the growth of this kind of bureaucratic kudzu since the 1960s has made it impossible for people to make practical and fair choices in their daily lives. You mentioned the growth of the bureaucratic kudzu since the 1960s. What's different now? Then, say in 1965, when Lyndon Johnson was talking about the Great Society and Medicare was born. Oh, completely different. You know, in 1965, we didn't have thousand-page rule books. We didn't have bureaucracy. We had a governing, by and large, by goals. The interstate highway system, for example, was authorized in a 29-page statute in 1956, and nine years later, over 20,000 miles had been built. Uh, today... The statute would be, well, the most recent statute was about 500 pages long, and it would be a decade before there were any permits given. <laughs> we got this idea after the 60s that we could solve the problems of human fallibility by just telling everybody how to do everything. <laughs> and that's where all the rule books came from. So why did this happen? Oh, a lot changed. I mean, we woke up to the abuses of racism, then pollution, then gender discrimination, lies about the Vietnam War, locking up disabled children in the, you know, in horrible places like Willowbrook. And, and, and those are all very real problems. Those are real problems, and they required changes in our social values and required new laws. That's all good. But the experts at the time said, not only do we want to change our values, and so, for example, to prohibit discrimination, but we also want to avoid any bad values in the future. And so the, they got this idea that we would start writing rules to tell people exactly how to do things, as if fairness could be dictated like the protocols on an assembly line. So what you're advocating in Try Common Sense, and your other books as well, is radical, isn't it? I yeah, mean, this, yeah. is a, this is a big change. Yes, and so what I'm arguing is that we can't actually repair the system that we've built in the last 50 years. And the reason we can't repair it is because it's been built up on a premise that guarantees failure and alienation, which is not to allow humans to use their common sense, you know, not to let people use their judgment and then be accountable for how they do. So it needs to be replaced, this whole massive Amazon, you know, Amazonian jungle of, of bureaucracy needs to be replaced by radically simpler structures that give people jobs and give other people the jobs of holding them accountable and arguing with them. And that's, uh, argument is good for democracy. 
we've done a number of shows on making government work better. You know, even a squishy libertarian believes there are certain things that only the government can do. We just want them to work right. One of the shows we did featured Adrian Woldridge, who says he wants to make government great again. And Dr. Vivian Lee, who spoke about some solutions for our tangled up healthcare system. Next, since our show started six years ago, many more people have been taking to the streets on various issues. This includes the January 6th riot at the Capitol, plus both peaceful and violent protests against the police and for Black Lives Matter. With so much that's happened in the four years framed by the Trump administration, it's sometimes possible to forget how explosive the Me Too movement was right at the dawn of that period. You know, we had the exposure of the crimes of Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. Later, we had the rearrest and apparent suicide of Jeffrey Epstein. And the whole issue of sexual harassment in the workplace that had been certainly known and talked about it, but still not really grappled with the way it needed to be. So that's a classic example of something that we would look at and say, okay, we know there's a problem. What's the solution? Yeah. In 2018, we spoke with Claire Kane Miller, who writes about gender, families, and the future of work for The Upshot at The New York Times. Claire says nearly half of American women in the workforce say they've experienced at least one form of sexual harassment during their careers. It especially happens when you start naming the behaviors. If you ask women if they've experienced harassment, about a quarter say yes. And then if you say, have you experienced these things? And then you name specific behaviors that qualify as harassment, that share doubles to half of women. I mean, this is the range of things from crude jokes that make for an uncomfortable workplace all the way to, you know, quid pro quo for sexual favor, some of the things we've been hearing about with Harvey Weinstein and others. So when we talk about sexual harassment in the workplace, everyone has the same answer. You know, we need more training. But some of the work that you've done, you've looked into a wide range of investigations of this and said it's not so simple. The training that companies do is pretty bad. I think a lot of us have experience with it. It's either sitting in a lecture where people aren't really paying attention or it's clicking through a PowerPoint to check a box that you did this for HR purposes and you're not really paying attention. You're just clicking through. And the reason companies do this is because the legal requirement is not that they prevent harassment. The legal requirement is that they have anti-harassment regulations. What are some examples of sexual harassment training workshops that that don't work? Specifically the ones which are the most common. They are either a lecture and often they talk about harassers and victims. And one of the reasons they backfire is nobody really wants to consider themselves a harasser or a victim. So when they speak in that language, people either tune it out or it makes them very uncomfortable. And so they go and make jokes afterwards. That's not very effective. Um, And another thing researchers have found is that by describing, again, this legal setup where a man is a perpetrator and a woman is this powerless victim, that it actually reinforces these stereotypical gender roles. So employees have more entrenched views about these stereotypes of men being in control and women being powerless than they did before they entered the training, which is obviously not helpful in terms of preventing harassment, which is often based on power. You recently wrote a column about the sexual harassment training programs 
that are used in corporate America and how they often don't work very well. But you also had a lot of suggestions for approaches that, that do work, at least work better. Can you walk us through a few of those? Sure. The one that I found the most interesting because it's been proven in research on places where it's already being used is called bystander training. And essentially, it's everyone's responsibility to prevent harassment. So right away, you get out of this mold where there's a harasser and a victim. Now it's everybody's responsibility. And what that does is it really creates a culture where harassment can't even start. And if it does start, it's stopped. And it sounded a little bit intimidating to me when I first heard, like, who is going to be brave enough to go into a conversation, especially if it's a powerful man, and stop it? But that's really not what it's about. It's much smaller things. So what are some of the kinds of things someone could say if they witness something like this happening in front of them in their workplace? One thing they can say to break up the situation in the moment is, I'm going to go grab coffee. Will you come with me? Or you could go and interrupt the victim and say, you know what? Someone needs you in the conference room right now. And you make that up. That's not true. But what it does is it removes her from the situation. A very important thing later is to talk to the victim alone and say, I heard what he said. And are you okay? And maybe the person is. If they're not, then you can say something like, I would be happy to walk to HR with you. Um, Because a lot of times victims just feel very alone. Another piece is talking to colleagues about it. A big part of building a culture is making sure that this isn't secretive. So that means saying, I heard what he said earlier. Did you guys hear that? I thought that was completely inappropriate. Did you agree? Claire Kane Miller on what does and does not work as employers try to reduce sexual harassment. And you and I, Jim, are journalists. So rather than give a laundry list of solutions or ways to make the world a better place, we ask questions because we're natural skeptics. Absolutely. I think that's really one of the important roles of journalism that we're not seeing enough today. One of the topics that is really important and where we really need to be asking more questions is about climate change. We've done quite a few shows on that, looked at some very specific solutions, things like carbon sequestration, the next generation of nuclear power. And you're going to see this focus continue in the coming year. Yeah. Coming next, though, science, one of your favorite topics, Jim, and one of our first shows with Mike Rowe on the skills gap. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs, and this is our 300th episode. Thanks so much for being along for the ride. If you like what you hear here, by all means, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Those five-star reviews really make a difference. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're back. And Richard, we've managed to get through the first half of the show without even mentioning COVID, I think. <laughs> Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to do that more often. But let's go back to the past. And one of our very first shows on How Do We Fix It with Mike Rowe, who is famous for promoting the virtues and rewards of dirty jobs. And we spoke to him in 2015 about the big shortage in skilled labor for blue-collar jobs. And it's true today. There simply aren't enough young workers being trained as plumbers, electricians, machinists, all kinds of, of positions that require really skilled labor but don't require a college degree. I asked Mike, do we need an attitude adjustment in America about how we define what a good job is? I think you're exactly right. I think so much of what we talk about in terms of a problem, whether it's the skills gap or a crumbling infrastructure or outsourced manufacturing, you know, all of these things are serious, but I, I suspect that they're really symptoms of something that's just a lot more broad-based. And I, I think that thing is our relationship with work our definition of a good job. So you're saying we need a big cultural shift here. And, and actually, you've done something about that, Mike. You've, uh, tell us a little bit about the MicroWorks Foundation and how it operates and why you started it. Well, the short version with MicroWorks is we simply want to encourage people to affirmatively explore jobs that actually exist. So when you look at the two and a half, three million jobs currently available right now and realize that that less than 25% require a four-year degree, you can start to see where people are talking past one another. So what we try and do is say, look, these opportunities are real. There are a lot of big companies right now willing to train you. There are a lot of uh, programs that are available and so much more affordable. So the kind of people that we aspire to reward uh, go through what we call a work ethic scholarship program. And as I know you guys know, you know, there's there's scholarships based on academics, there's scholarships based on athleticism, there's scholarships based on talent, need, but nobody really focuses on work ethic and specifically looks for people who are willing to retool, retrain, and potentially relocate. Well, have we become fat and unhappy? We're 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 lazy and we're not willing to work as hard as we used to. Is is that actually a problem? Personally, I think so. But I hate to lead with that only because 
a lecture is not going to fix anything. And the simple answer to your question is, yeah, yeah, I think we have to think twice about what it is we're most impressed with in the wide world of work. And if we're not blown away in 2015 by the fact that the lights still come on when we flick the switch or the crap goes away when we flush the toilet, if, they, if those things don't still strike us as miraculous, then I think that's kind of where the problem starts. Mike Rowe. And you know, Jim, so much of our podcast has been about a sense of wonder for the things that do work. We did a recent episode on The Grid with Gretchen Bakke. As Mike Rowe says, we all ought to still be amazed when the lights come on, but of course we take it for granted until something comes along like a giant ice storm in Texas that knocks the grid out and makes people really appreciate our, our power grid and how it still needs to be improved. Another show that we did that I really enjoyed because it inspired that sense of wonder was a recent episode with space writer Eric Berger about his new book about SpaceX and the early days and how Elon Musk has revolutionized the business of spaceflight. Yeah, that was one of our favorite recent episodes and, and really did remind me of, of how things have changed in space. But let's visit next on a different form of scientific topic with Anissa Ramirez, who's the author of a terrific book on discovery called The Alchemy of Us. She's passionate about science, technology, engineering, and math education, STEM. She's also a great person to follow on social media. If you want a little uplift, somebody who's talking about something bigger than just the scandal of the day. And this little excerpt is from episode 255. We've done a couple of podcasts on this issue of STEM versus more of a liberal arts education. I'm a big advocate for seeing those things go together. What's your take? My take is that we need both. And I think that one of those fields needs to stop and, and extend their hand out to the other field. If you go over to STEM and you mention history, they're, they're not interested because they like to do things a certain way. And if you go over to history and say, hey, we need to talk more about science, they're not interested because, well, they don't want to seem secondary to STEM. STEM has kind of got its moment right now. I try and highlight both as equally as possible so that we can see how we need each other. Science happens, but it happens in a context. And if we keep isolating science, people will look at things and, and not consider that there's a response to whatever they work on. And history without any science is, is, is not as rich as it could be. Another point that Anissa made in that interview is that most inventions are not made by only one or two people but are possible because of the work of many, of teams of people. That's also something we talked about with Matt Ridley, who discussed how innovation works. Among the ideas we celebrate on How Do We Fix It is changing our minds. You do a lot of that, Jim. Oh, you think so, huh? I, I think some people would beg to differ. But, but maybe that's because I don't have to change my mind that often because I'm usually right. 
<laughs> one of our most fascinating interviews in the first 300 shows was with Jerry Taylor, who is president and founder of the Niskanen Center, uh, which is a leading think tank. Jerry, who is a well-known public intellectual, describes himself today as a radical moderate, and he moved away from his more conservative leanings in his earlier years. Right. Jerry was a leading spokesperson for the idea of what some people call being a lukewarmist. That is, experts who acknowledge that climate change is happening, but kind of downplay it, say that problems won't be that severe. Let's not overreact to it. And then he really went back and studied the science more and realized he'd been wrong. And once he admitted he'd been wrong on climate change, he went back and reevaluated a lot of other ideas. So we asked him, what sort of ideas does he promote today? We think that the main conflict points in American politics are completely uh, artificial and bogus. So, for instance, on the right, you see an embrace of free markets, and they believe they're in a war with the left, which wants more social insurance and welfare. What it misses is that without social insurance and welfare, free markets don't function very well, and they certainly won't get much political support. And likewise, without a wealth-creating dynamic economy, you cannot pay the bills for the kind of social insurance and welfare programs you want for people who can't compete well in that kind of dynamic economy. Um, and we find the same thing when it comes to the debate about uh, social cohesion and um, pluralism. A lot of people on the right today are concerned about immigration. They're concerned about multiculturalism because they think the country is breaking apart into too many different tribes, which are increasingly uncomfortable with one another. But the reality is, is society is so heterogeneous, and there's so many different cultures that are, that are as part of America and go back as far as you'd like, that only with a healthy degree of respect for pluralism and multiculturalism can we hold together. That's Jerry Taylor. Which brings us to our final thought, and it's something this show is really built to try to enable, although we've never done it with guests where our disagreements are as severe as the ones we're going to hear about in this next clip. The question is, how do we talk to people with whom we strongly disagree or people who really even hate us? In episode 257 last year, we learned about Daryl Davis, who is a black R&B musician who has spent the past 35 years speaking with and sometimes even befriending white supremacists. And his goal is to help convince them to leave the Ku Klux Klan and similar groups. There have been over 200 people who have renounced that ideology and left uh, those organizations or turned their lives around. I have robes and hoods and Nazi flags and all kinds of stuff given to me by active uh, members, you know, who, who were active when I met them. And uh, now they have, they have renounced that. I asked them, you know, during the first interviews, how can you hate me? You know, you don't, you don't even know me. All you see is the color of my skin. If somebody sits in front of you and tells you that you're a criminal, that you lack intelligence, that you're lazy and, and prefer to be on welfare. You know, would you say that what that person is, is telling you is offensive? Absolutely. But here's the difference. Am I offended? Absolutely not. Not because what the person is saying is true, but I'm not offended because what the person's saying is a lie. At the end, when they renounce this, they say, Daryl, you know, I was wrong. You know, I, I don't have any reason to hate you, you know, because what's happening is 
we're having a conversation. They've never done that before. They've had debates or they've had clashes. Instead of, you know, I would disagree with them, but instead of, you know, clashing with them, I would listen because I'm there to learn. Everybody wants to be heard. So I would let them get it all out. And then I would, I would explain things to them from my perspective. They would go home and they would think, you know, what that black guy said was right. But, but he's black. He's black. But he's right. But he's black. You know, so it was a cognitive dissonance thing going on. They had to make up their own mind. Do I continue living a lie or do I believe the truth and turn my life around? So that's why I say I planted the seed, I nourished it, and they converted or convinced themselves. That's Daryl Davis. Uh, Do hear more if you haven't listened to this episode already. He's a fascinating and brave man. It's episode uh, 257, Daryl Davis on How Do We Fix It? Some final thoughts, Jim, before we go? Final thoughts. Well, I've got a lot. I mean, you you always do. <laughs> so much has so much has happened over the the years we've been doing this show, and we, I feel privileged to have been able to have kind of a front row seat to some of the most important discussions about our country and our society and where it's going today with some of the smartest people. I feel honored to be able to make a little contribution to those ideas as as we go along, and especially. There's something about podcasting where I really feel uh, a, a special connection with the people we've had on on the show. Even if the, you know we're only spending maybe 40 minutes with them, I feel like we're getting to know these people and becoming, if not friends exactly, but colleagues in a way that's different from when I just call someone up on the phone and interview them for an article. It's it's much more intimate. It's much more personal. I hope that comes across on the other end of these conversations, because to me, that's what I really love about podcasting. Yeah, it's less transactional as a medium. And also, I think it's the most informal medium out there, partially because of the way people listen to podcasts, which is usually on our own and very often with earbuds. And, you know, it's just that voice in your ear. And the ideas are not distracted by video where sometimes you're looking at somebody and going, hey, he has a weird beard or, you know, she's wearing a strange dress. And and it just distracts you from the ideas that are being discussed. It is... Also, a, less of a force-feeding kind of medium. You know, I've almost completely stopped watching cable news. I listen to a lot less, even NPR, where I too often feel that there's an agenda that's not just a political agenda, but the format itself drives a certain kind of neat summing up and delivery of certain content without that much thought about what might the weaknesses be, what might the questions be. But I feel like there's more room for, you used the word nuance before, there's more room for open-ended questions that maybe don't have clear-cut answers and for people's personal stories. And I love being part of bringing those stories to the listeners. I'm just going to end with one final thought, which is we never forget that the name of our podcast, How Do We Fix It?, has a question mark at the end. And I think that as we've done more shows, we've honored that question mark perhaps more than we did at the beginning. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Thanks, as always, to Miranda for uh, uh, making this show sound 
surprisingly smooth, despite the ragged beginning when we first go into the studio. Our listeners have often heard us thank Miranda. They haven't heard much from Miranda herself directly over these these episodes, but her fingerprints are all over How Do We Fix It. Everything you hear that sounds smooth and good and well-organized, that's probably Miranda's uh, concise and, and focused and skilled editing at work. She also gives us a lot of really useful advice and suggestions behind the scenes. So we really, and we shouldn't close out this issue without a, a special thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer. And one more round of thank yous. Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.